We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to Talking Buffalo, featuring conversations with guests from around the world of sports, media, pop culture, and all things Buffalo, with your host, Patrick Moran. All right, what is going on, everybody? How you doing? Welcome to another episode of Talking Buffalo, your weekday daily driver for Buffalo Sports Talk and more. I'm your host, Patrick Moran. Thank you very much for locking in. Today is actually one of those very rare, but it does happen from time to time, audio-only episodes of Talking Buffalo. No video, no YouTube for this episode. Um, I'm unable to tape video tonight. And also, if you can hear it in my voice, if you are a regular listener to this show, and I hope you are. And if you're not, thanks for joining in anyway. But um, I have been absolutely going through it now for a couple of days. I've been sick as a dog, feel like shit. Uh, like I said, if you if you listen to the show, watch the show regularly. I, I've gotten through the past few days. Uh, Sunday night, I taped a solo post-game show after the Bills whipped up on Dallas. Which, speaking of... Uh, today's episode, like I've been doing most Wednesdays throughout the NFL season when the Bills play on a Sunday or a Monday. Today's the day where I watch the All-22 film, I sift through the PFF grades, and I give you some of my uh, biggest takeaways, my biggest thoughts on the film and also uh, the grades. So that's going to be the gist of what we do today. More on that in just a second. But anyway, going back to Sunday night, I got through it somehow. I still don't know how I did it, to be honest with you. And then um, Monday, I taped the show for Tuesday with my buddy Tone Pucks. And again, kind of feeling a little shitty, but got through it. And to be honest with you, tonight here, uh, this is dropping audio form on Wednesday morning. I am taping this very late on Tuesday night. And it's just uh, this flu, um, maybe an I have COPD. So the last couple of years, this has happened. This is almost like a, an annual tradition around this time of year. Usually it's early January, though. My COPD flares up, kind of gets attacked. I think the weather has a lot to do with it. Um, anyway, I'm pretty confident that's what's going on with me again. Usually sidelines me uh, for a couple of days. I've taken about four or five COVID tests because, again, I have COPD. So I'm very uh, nervous about that shit. Um, fortunately, all those tests have been negative. But anyway. That, that's where I'm at right now. I, I don't feel well. 
I'm trying to get through this. If you're listening to this, that means that somehow I did uh, get through this episode. Whereas if it didn't, shit would be on the cutting room floor and you would never uh, end up hearing it anyway. I'm going to try, you know, hopefully I can keep up a cadence of speech relatively well. Again, it's um hard to breathe at times. And anyway, enough about me, woe is me and stuff like that. But anyway, I'm going to, I'm going to do this show. I have plans. I hope to um, tape on Wednesday morning with my buddy, Anthony Marino for our Thursday bills versus charges preview episode. And then I think after that, I'm going to head to uh, immediate care and, Hopefully get some antibiotics and steroids and feel better uh, within a couple of days. And I'll tell you what, real quick here, and then I'm going to get into the show. Um, Thursday is my son's 21st birthday. And I'm telling you right now, dude, I don't give a shit how sick I am. I will drag physically if I had to drag my ass out of bed on Thursday. And by the way, I'm out at that point. I mean, I, I don't feel well. My throat's getting a little sore, phlegmy. Um, coughing to the point where my ribs are are sore, but I'm not like you know life and death sick. So I want to try to portray that as how I feel right now. But even if it was Thursday morning, no matter what, I am going to drag my ass out of bed. I am going to drag my son's ass out of his bed. I am going to put us in my car. I am going to take a ride to Vinny's in West Seneca, and I am going to have a legal beer with my son. And an order of wings in a bar for his 21st birthday. And this is something that I have thought about and circled on my mental calendar for probably, I don't know, 15 or so years, man. My little boy hitting legal drinking age and being able to take him to a tavern with me and legally grab a pint of beer. I just, I can't wait. That's, um, that's just really cool to me. And it's not about going there and getting hammered. Well, you know, maybe that'll happen. But uh, anyway, out of serious though, man, that's something I'm looking forward to um, on Thursday. Of course, this is Christmas week, and I hope that everyone out there, that you're enjoying it. You know, Christmas just seems to, to come out of nowhere. You know, it's like it's so many weeks away. And there's a lot of days away. And then all of a sudden, bam, you hit that week and you blink your eyes and it's Christmas. I hope everyone out there is taking a little bit of time, as much as you can anyway, to really relax and, and kind of enjoy this whole week, Christmas week, play those Christmas Bing Crosby records, those vinyl, if you got them on your record player, that I guess Spotify will do, you know, watch those Charlie Brown Christmas specials, Rudolph the Rainbow's Reindeer, watch those on TV, check out a couple, you know, Christmas movies with your loved ones, Just sit back, man, relax, enjoy it, don't stress about the gifts what you can and can't afford. I know it sounds corny, but I really mean it, man. It's not what this season and what this holiday is all about. It's about loved ones. It's about memories. It's about family and friends. So I hope everyone out there is taking a little bit of moments out of their day every day, lean up to Christmas here to enjoy it because it's just coming in just uh, four days. Anyway, enough bullshitting here. I want to get through this episode. It's not going to be long. Like I said, um, this is a little bit of a challenge talking today. But and I know some people are going to say, well, why don't you just not do an episode? Well, because this is a weekday daily podcast. I want to put out an episode, if humanly possible, every single day. I think consistency is incredibly important. 
I think it's important to your listeners. They come to expect something on certain days. In this case, every weekday, I want to have that available. And I kind of am sticking with a, a schedule and a theme. And hopefully I can get through this. And for today, like I said, this is the Bills All-22 and PFF Grades Analysis episode. Uh, I'll say the same spiel that I say every week as it pertains to this. The purpose of this episode and the purpose of why I watch the film and why I watch, or I should say, sift through uh, the PFF grades that they put out each week for the Buffalo Bills, and in some cases, other players around the league, is to further either strengthen or loosen opinions that I had when I watched the game in real time initially. You're not going to get a ton of X's and O's educational stuff from me. I'm not going to be able to to sit there and tell you I watched the film and I seen this zone concept or, you know, this type of route tree or things like that. That's just, that's not my strength. That's not what I do. It's not what I even try to do. I see it every week. I'll say it again. Uh, you know, if that's your thing, I really encourage you to go check out Eric Turner and Anthony Brohaska at Cover One. They do a phenomenal job each week with the film room episode, with Anthony's disguise coverage episode, and they just break down concepts and stuff that you won't get anywhere else. Uh, Joe Marino, Lockdown Bills podcast, daily Buffalo Bills podcast. In my opinion, the best one out there on a daily, day-to-day basis. He does a phenomenal job of talking about the film and talking about specific things from it that you're probably not going to be able to get anywhere else. So I definitely encourage you to go listen or watch those as well. Like I said, this episode, what I do is just taking my takes, my opinions, mainly things that I talked about from the game over the last couple of days and kind of, in some cases, I'll watch the film and be like, yeah, see, I was right. And here's why. And, and now my, my opinion is solidified. In other cases, I might initially think something else, but then I go back and watch the film and I'm like, oh, you know what? That really wasn't the case. I need to change my, my mind about this. So that's what we're doing right here uh, with this episode. I'm trying to keep from, from coughing here. Um, and then I'll start, like always, with my three big takeaways, and then I'll um, go over some things on each side of the ball that stood out with me, either film-wise or, or PFF grade-wise, and then kind of some big-picture stuff to uh, to wrap up. Getting going here with the three biggest takeaways that I had from this Buffalo Bills game on Sunday, a dominating throttling of the Dallas Cowboys Number one, James Cook, his vision and his instincts are great. And I know we've been talking about this for a couple of days. Everybody knows this. I'm not telling you something that you don't already know. If you have a, a functioning set of eyes and you watch the football game on Sunday, you saw the damage that he did. 25 carries, 179 yards, uh, two catches for 42 yards, two total touchdowns. And uh, could have had, you know what, it was a little disappointing too because the Bills were up so much. And I'm, I'm not mad about it. Sean McDermott definitely did the right thing. But I kind of wish the only thing I didn't like about the Bills beating up on Dallas as much as they did is if the game would have been just a little bit closer, James Cook would have stayed in the game and it would have been really sweet for him to get 200 yards rushing, which probably if he was at 179, probably would have been maybe three more carries at the most because Dallas had absolutely no answer for this man on Sunday. And you could just see it on the film too, man. His We've heard... Le- Le'Veon Bell is kind of an example, even coming into the league, like that patience that he has, that vision to to let the blockers block in front of him and let the play develop and then hit it. And I think you're starting to see more and more of that 
but you're also starting to see, and if you're a Bills fan, if you're an older Bills fan, you certainly know the name, Thurman Thomas. Because, you know, Le'Veon Bell had that patience and strength and ran with, with conviction. And Thurman did to a point, too. But Thurman was just so versatile. And that's what you're starting to see more and more of from James Cook. But it's funny because it's the other way around. You know, coming out of school from Georgia, it was the pass catching. It was coming out of the backfield. That's what got so many people hyped up about James Cook. I remember the draft a year and a half ago or whatever it was. And I remember being really excited. I said after day one of the draft, I remember this one of my my best takes ever on Twitter, actually, um, going into day two. I was like, please give me James Cook. I want James Cook. And then it happened the next day. But anyway, my point is this. He was a, a J.D. McKissick. That's probably a name that I'm looking for. Somebody that the Bills tried to sign the year before, before they drafted Cook, actually. Um, that type of player. But it's like, haven't really seen that much of him as a weapon out of the backfield catching the football, including this year when Ken Dorsey was offensive coordinator. But now with Joe Brady as OC, you're really starting to see him being utilized more in the in the passing game. And I'm not talking about, you know, going out in the flat and taking a little dump pass and trying to make somebody miss. This is two straight games now where he's caught a longer route touchdown. One was a wheel route um, two weeks ago in Kansas City. This was a uh, just a, a beautiful man. He shook out. I don't have the, the guy's name in front of me from Dallas, but what a move he put on him. I want to throw it too on the run, by the way, um, from Josh Allen. But my point is, we know that that's what James Cook can be. But what we're starting to see is a really good running back between the tackles who can sneakily hit that next gear, kind of like Thurman Thomas did when he was with Buffalo. Make you miss, in some cases, drag you for some yards. Um, my knock on James Cook watching some film this year and you know the games throughout the season is there seems like there's times where he's more interested in getting out of bounds and not really taking on the defender and trying to get that extra yard, trying to get to the stick. And I think you're starting to see more and more of him running with uh with an attitude with the, with with the swagger to him and he's just he's been really uh, really really effective you know it's getting to a point right now where it's like don't look now but James Cook not Stefan Diggs might be the best weapon going on the Buffalo Bills right now and I love it I love it because now you know teams you know maybe the Chargers this week maybe New England the week after they start gearing up and they start putting extra guys in the box because they seen what Buffalo will do, you know, against a team like Dallas and they'll just run it down your throat. Well, you start stacking guys in the box and bam, there you go. There's your openings for Stefan Diggs and, and Shakir and Trent Shurfield and dare I say, Gabe Davis, Delta Kincaid to, to, to make some plays in the passing game. So having a strong and effective running game, I expect the Bills I do not expect the Bills to, to run the ball 49 times a week, nor do I particularly want them to. But if it's, um, you know, if that's what the situation, if that's what the game calls for, you're seeing it now. You're seeing it live in person. You're seeing it when you watch back the film that James Cook looks like he is that guy right now. You know, the last couple of years on the Bills, it's been Singletary Moss or it's been Singletary Cook. Cook is the guy right now on the Bills. Ty Johnson is looking really good as a, as a two in, in Murray. Maybe it's kind of like evolving into three in certain situations anyway. But James Cook is like that clear number one running back on this football team. He's becoming a star. He's second in the NFL in rushing 
He's third in the NFL in total yards from scrimmage. He's doing it all for the Bills right now. And it's great to see it and just, man, it's so impressive. When you watch back that film, there were some plays, some runs of his that I had to watch like two or three times. It was just fun to watch. So that's one. Um, Two, to have success running the football, unless you're Barry Sanders, that means the offensive line is blocking well. And I'll tell you what, man, this offensive line was freaking fantastic against the Cowboys. I think this offensive line, far and away, is Brandon Bean's best work as Buffalo general manager as it pertains to this offensive line. You watch them Sunday, and you watch them for a lot of the season. And look, everybody doesn't have a great game every week, of course. But this is an offensive line right now that doesn't have a true weak link. There's no glaring hole. There's no glaring weak link in this entire offensive line. I kind of felt like there was last year, at least to some extent, with Roger Saffold. And maybe to a smaller extent, Spencer Brown, who just wasn't healthy. And now I believe that. And I believe that because a healthy Spencer Brown in 2023, the guy we're seeing this year, the guy that we saw Sunday in Orchard Park against Dallas was borderline dominant. He had the highest run blocking grade per PFF. I think it was like 92.3, the highest PFF run blocking grade of any offensive tackle in the entire NFL on Sunday. That's how impressive Spencer Brown was. That's his grade. Equally impressive on film. He was throwing dudes around. Deion Dawkins, who actually had a pretty shitty grade from PFF, which I, I don't understand. You know, I say it every week. There's always one or two players for the Bills, and you go through the PFF grades where you're like, how in the hell did this guy get this high of a grade? Or how in the hell did this guy get this low of a grade because he played way better? I thought Deion Dawkins, at least on film from what I saw, had a really, really good game. His grades weren't that good. But in this case, like I said, it doesn't matter. Uh, we all, we've all seen the meme where he's blocking that guy number 33, like 20 yards down the field. That was fun to see. Anyway, both their tackles were awesome, man. Spencer Brown was awesome. Deion Dawkins was awesome. Osiris Torrance, you know, we all saw on film, or you saw it in the game. You see it on the film, too. One pass rush, Micah Parsons abused the shit out of him, which, again, that's Micah Parsons. He's going to abuse the shit out of most guards in the NFL on any given play. But I thought Osiris Torrance played pretty damn well. Um, Mitch Morse played pretty damn well. You know, Mitch Morse is going to be a very interesting offseason uh, development because he's here for one more year in a contract, but he's got a high cap number. The Bills could move on from him. They could go cheaper and make Ryan Bates the center. But I'll tell you what, Mitch Morse, some people might have thought his best days were well behind him, that he was washed up. But I don't think he is. I, I think he's played pretty damn well this year. He's pass blocked really well all season long. Then he's had some up and down games with run blocking. But this was a good one. This was a good game. And Connor McGovern, I thought, was pretty good too. Pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. But as a whole, forget about, you know, we're talking about the sum here. The, you know, all the parts together, this offensive line is really good. They protected Josh Allen really good all season long. Again, James Cook is second in the NFL rushing, so they're doing something right here, folks. This is a really good offensive line. And when you got stars like Josh Allen and Stefan Diggs and now James Cook becoming one, and you got, you know, well-known players like Vaughn Miller, sometimes for the wrong reasons, 
Or, you know, you got your big name guys like Micah Hyde, Jordan Poyer, some of these guys. It's easy to, to overlook the unit, the offensive line. But I'll tell you what, this offensive line has been pretty damn solid all season long. And I would have to go back to maybe, maybe the Miami game is the only game this season where I thought maybe the offensive line played as good or better than they did against Dallas on Sunday. It was just really impressive to be able to sit back there and watch some of these holes that um that Cook and Ty Johnson were able to run through. Just an impressive, impressive, impressive performance by the offensive line. And then my third, um, my third big takeaway from this game is I'll tell you, I'm gonna be honest with you. Early in the season, did not like what I was seeing from Jordan Poyer. And I won't go as far to say that I was among those who was in the Jordan Poyer's washed up crowd because there's been smatterings of that on social media uh, throughout the season. I'll tell you what, I thought Jordan Poyer, well, he struggled early in the season, okay? He did struggle early in the season, but he has really turned it up in the second half. He's had some good games, and I'll tell you, man, he was borderline sensational on Sunday. He almost had one interception. Actually, he almost had two interceptions. Was really good in coverage. Came up and run support. Tackled well. Didn't miss any tackles. He was around the football a lot. This reminded me of 2020, 2021 Jordan Poyer, who's one of the best safeties in the NFL. And I'll tell you, when it comes to Micah Hyde and the Bills, of course, did not have Micah Hyde on Sunday and probably won't have him for at least a couple more games here. But I think the consensus going into the season with both Micah Hyde and Jordan Poyer, and this isn't any kind of diss towards Micah Hyde, but I think the consensus was Micah Hyde is, of the two, has more juice left in the tank, whereas Jordan Poyer, who just took an absolute freaking beating last year, man, he was a shell of himself physically by the end of the season just because he played through so many injuries, and then we thought he was going to be gone. And there just wasn't really a ton of interest around the league. Ultimately, he resigns with Buffalo. And we're like, Micah Hyde's the better safety of the two. I don't, and again, this is no slight personally towards Micah Hyde, but I personally think Jordan Poyer among those two, and I hate to even compare because it's just, it's a dumb comparison, but I'm going to say it anyway. I think Jordan Poyer's been the better safety of those two for the Buffalo Bills this season. Had some dumb moments, definitely made some mistakes. There's been some, he's been beat. He's got to beat sometimes. He's whipped on a couple tackles. Tackling's been an issue with him. It's been an issue with a lot of the Bills. But this film, which by the way, this was, and I'll talk about this a little bit with PFF defense in, in a few minutes, but this defense didn't miss tackles on Sunday. They were exceptional with tackling. And Jordan Poyer's had some issues with tackling this season. He did not have any issues on Sunday. Again. Great in run support, finishing tackles, great in coverage, breaking up plays. He went over the top, had a really nice play. Should have almost an interception. I don't want to say should have because it was a tough play to make. Almost had an interception over CeeDee Lamb. But this is a Jordan point you need, especially if Micah Hyde is going to be out. And I don't know if it's going to be Taylor Rapp got to start this week. And I don't know, or last week, I don't know if it's going to be Rapp, maybe Cam Lewis against the Chargers. I don't know. But with all these injuries on defense, man, this is – the Jordan Poirier that the Bills need. And he looked fucking phenomenal on tape. Took me almost 22 minutes before I dropped an F-bomb. But anyway, those are my three biggest takeaways. James Cook's vision, just absolutely outstanding. And his commitment, 
his uh, conviction in running. I should add that as well. That's outstanding. Offensive line, maybe their best game of the season. And I thought Jordan Poyer played really well. So take all that. He's wash up, talk, and, and, and go somewhere else with it because that's just not true. Anyway, take a real quick break. I'm going to come back. I'm going to fly through uh, a couple things on offense and a couple defense um, that stuck out with the uh, PFF grades. Be right back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, I'm back here going through the Buffalo Bills uh, film study and PFF grades analysis for week 15. Uh, like I said, man, I, I'm really trying my best right now. I feel like uh, at times I'm rambling. I feel like I'm losing my voice as well. At times I'm trying to pace myself. So maybe I sound a little bit slower and a little more deliberate than normal. I'm just afraid of losing my breath at some point, just trying to get through this. But anyway, uh, five things to me that stuck out offensively. Not counting, like I said, uh, James Cook. One's Josh Allen, obviously. I mean, he didn't do much. He didn't have to. 78.4 overall grade from PFF. Still pretty good. Um, I think he was carried by an 82 run grade in this game, which was his third best run grade per PFF of the season. Uh, his top two was 92.9 against Philly and 84.4 against the Bengals. Just 7 of 15 for 94 yards. Pressured a lot. PFF um shows that he was pressured 11 times in 19 dropbacks. I'll say this too. Credit to Joe Brady because early in the game, it looked like maybe the Bills were looking to throw the football and the Dallas pressure, like they, I think they only said they sacked him once, but he was running a lot. He was scrambling. He was getting out of the pocket quicker than he wanted to a lot. And I think that's because the pressure was getting to him. And to Joe Brady's credit, I think he realized that the key to attacking Dallas was going to be the running game. And they soon after they switched and started running the ball and just really uh, was effective doing that. And I loved, you know, my favorite thing about Josh Allen on Sunday might not have even been anything he did on the field. Although we did plenty of good things on the field. But I think after the game, uh, during the presser, when he says um, he didn't do nothing, it was like he didn't do anything in the class project, but yet he still got an A anyway. <laughs> that was good, man. That was pretty crafty by Josh. But anyway, that's kind of what it was. And that's good to know. It's good to know because one of the problems that seemed like with the Buffalo Bills over the last couple of years, not even just this season, is for the Bills to have success on offense. It needs to be super Josh. There hasn't been a lot of games where the Bills have just dominated with the running game. And Josh got to kind of be 
you know, take on a complimentary role with the passes. So that was good to see for the Bills. Um, you know, I talked about, I mentioned him earlier, Ty Johnson, really impressive, 77.7 overall grade in nine carries for 54 yards. It's crazy to me now in hindsight that he sat around on this practice squad and unused for so long. Like, how did Ken Dorsey not figure out how to utilize this guy? To Joe Brady's credit, and I keep saying that because it's true and he deserves it, but to Joe Brady's credit, his first game literally is OC. Ty Johnson was elevated and used in this offense. I mean, I thought the guy was going to get cut because I thought for sure Leonard Fournette would be activated, and it didn't happen. And now I see why, and I'm glad because Ty Johnson is a good weapon. By the way, he outsnapped uh, Latavius Murray in this game. 20 to 14. And that's something that I could see happening uh, going forward. Uh, Stefan Diggs number is not great, but I, he was still, his presence was out there, man. You know, Dallas still felt him 66.1 overall grade. That spectacular catch, which I'll tell you, I'm glad he made that play. I'm glad he made that catch. And maybe this sounds a little bit silly, but that might've made him feel like he contributed offensively a little bit more. And what a, Freaking unbelievable one-handed catch that was. I don't know if I'm articulating my point correctly here. I just think it was important for him to do something significant to help the offense. Look, wide receivers are they're just they're a different breed, man. And you want to keep them happy and you want them feeling like they matter. And you don't want them frustrated. And Stefan Diggs, you know he wants that football. You know he wants to make plays. But first and foremost, Stefan Diggs is about winning. And I know he ain't going to be bitching. He ain't mad in the locker room, even if he don't make that play because the Bills whooped up on Dallas. But the fact that he made that play, that we're watching it on highlight films, or highlight reels, I should say, all week long, just kind of a little bit of icing on the cake. And I'll tell you, man, he's, he's so good. See, like he hasn't been doing much lately statistically, but the guy's still got 91 catches on the season. He's over 1,000 yards now. Just the standard is so high with him. He's nine catches away from having a hundred yard or hundred catches in all four seasons with the Buffalo Bills. No one's ever done that ever with the Bills. No one's ever had a thousand yards, four straight seasons. And Stefan just did that on Sunday as well. So yeah, the big game wasn't there for him, but his presence was still felt out there, still had a pretty good role and it was a hell of a play. Um, and then one negative thing, and you almost got to get nitpicky right now if you want to talk about negativity and stuff like that that you see on film or with grades uh, with the Bills from this game. But a pretty crappy game from Dalton Kincaid. Two targets, two drops. Uh, bright spot, though, 71.6. I'm telling you, man, everyone on this line, including Dalton Kincaid, did a pretty good job of blocking. Anyway, 71.6. That was his second highest run blocking grade of the season. The only... uh. Week he had a higher one was against the Cincinnati Bengals. So that's kind of what stood out grade-wise and a couple of things on film on the offense. And then on the defense, um, it sucks that he got hurt. So this kind of, you know, takes away a little bit of the shine with Jordan Phillips. But I wanted to make sure that I'm here on this episode and this podcast giving props or flowers, as they say, to uh, Jordan Phillips. And I say that because I have been really, really harsh on him all season long, maybe at times at least to a fault. Um, It's frustrating at times to watch Jordan Phillips play because he can be so good. He makes impactful, 
splash plays. He gets the crowd going. He does a lot of good things. But then he does a lot of dumb shit, whether it's personal fouls with the penalties, jumping off sides, whiffing on tackles. You know, I pointed it out last week. Jordan Phillips had the second worst overall and the second worst tackling PFF grades of any defensive tackle in the entire NFL going into this game. So I'm not going to walk back most of the criticism that I've levied towards Jordan Phillips. I'm just saying at times, maybe I went a little bit too harsh on him. Regardless, I thought, and it really sucks that he got hurt during this game. Jordan Phillips played, here comes that bomb number two, folks, fucking great against Dallas. He was great. And this is where I get, again, those those PFF grades. And I don't want to sit there, you know, you you say you got to take the good with the bad. And that's how I kind of roll with PFF. I I respect them. Look, there's 32 teams around the NFL that pay PFF for some of their data. So they must be doing something right. But I I don't agree with some of their shit. And this was definitely one of them. He had a 58.4 overall grade by PFF. I think that's complete bullshit. Jordan Phillips had a sack. He had a couple good run stops. He played really, really well. Um, 69.2 tackling grade. I'm I'm pretty sure that's his best. I didn't bother to look it up, but I'd be willing to bet that's his best tackling grade of the season. And again, they only gave him a 45.5 overall run, um, run defense grade on Sunday. And I think that's bullshit. He was making plays. He was playing really well. And it sucks that he hurt his wrist. He had surgery already this week. He's going to be out. A couple weeks, I think I heard uh, Phillips say sometime on Tuesday that he expects to be back if the Bills make the playoffs. Of course, unrelated to this, well, actually related to this, but unrelated to film or PFF grades for this episode. But Daquan Jones, practice window opens up. That could be huge. He's already been ruled out for Saturday. I would suspect he probably doesn't play against the Patriots either, but you might be looking at that week 18 finale at Miami, potentially with everything on the line and the Bills getting Daquan Jones back which would just be F-bomb three coming. Fucking amazing. <laughs> amazing. But anyway, I thought Jordan Phillips played great. Um, Christian Bedford also played good, and he finally got that big play that he's been waiting for all season. Got an interception, 82.2 overall grade from PFF, 85.4 in coverage. Um, He was on Brandon Cooks all game, and he shut his ass down. Three targets, one catch, eight yards. That's all. He surrendered the entire game, and he had the interception. This was about as good, both grade-wise and from what you see on the film, that I've seen Christian Benford play as a Buffalo Bill. This was a career day for him. Um, Another guy, I would say it's a career day for him, but it's probably the kind of game he has nine to ten times per year, and that's Teron Johnson. He's so, and, and we talk about him a lot, so it's hard to call somebody underrated when you talk about him as much as we do. But I am going to call him underrated. In fact, I think he's freaking insanely underrated. Teron Johnson might have been, besides maybe James Cook, you want a hot take, folks? I'm going to give you a free hot take here late in this episode. James Cook was the best player on the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. Teron Johnson was the second best player on the Buffalo Bills on Sunday. He was phenomenal. 84.6 PFF overall grade, 73.0 against the run. 85.3 against the tackle. Every time he came up into the box, he made a play. Every time. 85.4 grade in coverage. 
It's his best overall grade of the entire season. Maybe his best game as a whole of the season. This is just a guy who does so many things well, whether it's coverage, whether it's run support, whether it's blitzing, whether it's just taking receivers away. And he was on CeeDee Lamb a lot, by the way, a lot in the slot. It's just, he is he's a guy that when you watch, say you watch the All-22 film, and some people know what they're looking for better than others. And some people just want to watch it and enjoy some players. And I'm telling you, man, Teron Johnson is just one of those guys that's fun to watch on film. Whatever his contract is, he's underpaid. He's underpaid. Um, you know, I'm not a big, again, I'm not a big defensive film guy. I like to watch the offense on film. I, I feel like I'm pretty good at knowing, all right, this guy missed a block or this guy made a good play, or this receiver was open and Josh didn't hit him, or, yay, none of these receivers are getting open. What's going on here? I kind of feel like I'm locked in on the offense and not so much on the defense, but he's an exception. I like watching him on defense. I lock in on him, and he's just such a, a freaking joy. And then the last uh, defensive takeaway, Greg Rizzo. You know another guy that kind of gets overlooked a little bit on this football team because of some of the stars and some of the big names on this team, but he was stout. All around stout, uh, 69.3 PFF grade against the run, 71.7 tackle grade, and he made a phenomenal uh, adjustment on the edge and brought down Tony Pollard for a loss in the backfield. Great freaking play. Uh, he had a sack. He had two hurries. He's just so good, man. He is so, so, so well-rounded. And I think maybe coming into this season, we expected him to be the big team, you know, the big breakout star so to speak. Uh, not quite sure we've seen that, but what we have seen is just steady growth and steady improvement. And he's a guy, when you watch him on the film and you see him out there, you just, you could tell you're confident that he's not going to be the one to make a mistake. Like if the Bills give up a big play and somebody misses their assignment, whether it's a screen pass or you know some kind of misdirection run, a, a sweep, something like that, and somebody blew an assignment, and that's why the play went for big yards, you just feel like it's not going to be Greg Rizzo who makes that mistake. And it hasn't been. It hasn't been. So he's been phenomenal. He's been phenomenal. He was especially phenomenal against Dallas. Maybe, well, I will say phenomenal against Dallas, but maybe not phenomenal for the season, but certainly rock steady. Let's just use that word. And he was rock steady um, this whole season. Anyway, those are my offenses and defensive takeaways. And like I said, I'm not going to lie to you folks. I'm getting borderline freaking uh, delirious here, man, talking for, for 35, 36 minutes. Probably not the best remedy uh, when you're getting borderline dizzy. But I'm almost done. Almost done here. Getting through it. All other film, quick hits that I wrote down in my notes. I don't think Dallas, you know, Dallas did a lot of things wrong. And you watch, I, you don't need the film. You saw it during the game. Just the dumb mistakes they made, the personal foul penalties that really helped give the Bills all three of their first three touchdowns uh, in the first half. They had Buffalo stopped, and not once, not twice, but three times. Personal foul penalties allowed a Bills drive to continue. That resulted in uh, touchdowns. But anyway, I also think Dallas, maybe on the offense, like if there was a weak link to be had, I think on the Bills, maybe on their defense, could have been Taylor Rapp. But I don't think really Dallas tested him enough. They didn't get after him enough. Taylor Rapp did have, I believe, a, a he did have, a personal foul penalty, a really dumb one too, a hit on uh, Dak Prescott. But watching the film, I feel like there were opportunities for, for Dallas 
to make plays on Taylor Rapp, and they just they didn't take advantage of that. Um, other things to note, Shaq Lawson got a season-high 30 reps with A.J. Epinesen out. I thought he was fine. Uh, other defensive end reps, uh, Greg Rizzo, 39. Leonard Floyd, 30, who had a sack, 10 and a half sacks, by the way, for the season now. Vaughn Miller got 24 reps. Um, didn't do a lot with him, although we did almost have a sack near the end of the game. And then Kingsley Jonathan had nine all towards the end of the game. Um, I got in my notes, too. Like I said, PFF grades, just so silly. There it is. I thought I had this written down. I talked about Deion Dawkins earlier. PFF only gave him a 54.1 overall grade, 52.8 against the run, 52.5 against the block. Fuck out of here, man. He played way better, way better than that. And then my last observation, we'll call it, from watching shit back is I'm starting to wonder if Gabe Davis, and this is coming from maybe, uh, you know, one of the uh, founding members of the Gabe Davis fan club here, folks. But I'm starting to wonder if we're at the point where it might be time to take some reps away from Gabe Davis. Like, I'm almost ready to see more that the Bills are going to run 12 personnel with Kincaid and Knox out there, digs. I'm almost ready to see more Trent Sherfield, and let's see what he could do. I, I know he could block. Let's see what Trent Sherfield could do over Gabe Davis because Gabe yet again got shut out. I think he's had three of his last four games now. He's had zero catches. So this is, you know, that's not an anomaly. The anomaly is in Philly a handful of weeks ago where he had six catches for 105 yards. You know, there's been plays out there left. We, we saw it last week against the Chiefs. He should have been wide open for a touchdown, and him and Josh just weren't on the same page. I mean, you, you see stuff like that was actually the Philly game. My bad. And then against Kansas City, actually, um, he was open and Josh never even threw him the ball. Didn't see him on that play. But that that notwithstanding, what I'm seeing is a guy who just doesn't seem to be getting open. I don't think, you know, somebody had a comment um, during one of my shows earlier this week because Josh threw one ball deep to Gabe on Sunday and Gabe didn't track the ball. And somebody said it looked like he just doesn't have the effort. And I don't agree with that. I don't think there's a lack of effort from Gabe Davis. I think he's trying his best. I mean, he's a captain for Christ's sake. I just don't think it's there though. They're not for whatever reason. Him and Josh are not on the same page, and uh, he was he just maybe he doesn't have the skill set to track that type of ball. Maybe he's more one dimensional than we wanted to admit. I don't know what it is, but what I do know is he's given this Bills offense nothing, and I feel like there's going to come a time where they're going to need that. They're going to need it. You know, maybe a team will double Stefan Diggs a lot and they'll be able to stop the Bills one game with just, you know, even a lighter box. And where's that wide receiver too? I just, I don't know, man. I'm ready to see what Chen Sherfield could give us because I'm just not seeing anything from Gabe, not just in the stack column. I'm just not seeing anything in the routes. I'm not seeing him getting open. It's just not happening. So I'm ready at this point to see Maybe trying, I would say Justin Shorter, but I don't even think he, he might not even see the field for this season. But I don't know. You just figure it out. But at this point, I'm ready to see Gabe Davis get some reps taken away uh, from him. Big picture stuff. The, bill, the Bills. The Bills. <laughs> I'll get it right. The Bills, they technically don't control their own destiny right now, but it sure seems like it. It feels like uh, they will. Uh, you know, I'm never going to take a team for granted, especially after watching Buffalo go to Foxborough earlier this season, but the Chargers should pose no real threat, man. I mean, look, contain Khalil Mack, who's been a beast this year. He's got 15 sacks. I mean, they got a pretty good pass rush. I think they're six in the NFL in sacks, the Chargers. 
and it should be smooth sailing for the Bills in their offense. You know, that's really has found its groove now since Joe Brady has become uh, OC. And then, you know, scoreboard watching matters. You know, there's tweets. I know Joe Biscali put out a tweet on Tuesday that outlined every possible scenario you could hope for uh, for the Bills. To me, and he's right, by the way, but just my, it's Miami, man. It is Miami. If they lose one of their next two and they're at home against Dallas this coming week and then they're on the road against Baltimore, you lose one of those two and if the Bills handle their business against two pretty shitty teams, the Bills, forget about just the playoffs, the Bills are playing for the AFC East Week 18 uh, in Miami. You know, I've felt all along that if the Bills lose one of these last three games and they only get to 10 wins, is not going to be enough. I think I saw odds out there today that show that if the Bills finish with 10 wins, which would mean two of their last three, that it's 50-50 that they get in. I don't think that's going to be the case, though, man. It's just uh, I don't want to take that chance. Anyway, Anthony Marino is going to be with me on tomorrow's episode. We're going to preview that Chargers game. Hopefully, I'll feel a little bit better in the morning and be able to <laughs> get into a, a good episode and get into the Christmas spirit a little bit. I'm sure we'll talk about some fun Christmas stuff as well. Uh, thank you. If you're still listening to this right now, my mouth is just filling up with saliva. It's just, this is nuts. And this is part of the reason why, quite honestly, this is an audio-only episode and not video because I'm sounding a mess. And I also, I just, quite frankly, I look a mess right now. But anyway, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you all. Make sure you follow me on Twitter, at Patrick Moran. TV, same handle as well on uh, the Instagram. Have a good one. Um, be safe. Like I said, man, you get some time. This drops Wednesday. So if you got some time Wednesday evening, chill out with somebody, man. Watch a Christmas movie, watch a Christmas TV special or something. And I'll be back. Brand new episode. Like I said, Anthony Marino joins me tomorrow. Take care. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.